Okay, we're ready to begin this week's Parshas, Parshas Bamidbar. So, uh, the class I prepared this evening um, was not sufficiently prepared. So, we're going to talk about uh, a couple, two random thoughts. Um, the Briska Rav, the Chidushe Hagriz, in this week's Parsha, says uh, the following idea. Um, I don't, not sure if it's from this specific Pasik, but I think that it is. Um, the idea, though, is very interesting. We know that in this week's Pasha, the Torah describes for us the encampment of the Jewish people. We know how they travel together with the Mishkan with the tabernacle. And the Torah specifically counts all of the Jewish people, all the tribes, and tells us where they would be positioned in the, uh, around the, the Mishkan, around the tabernacle. So, regarding Shevet Levi, the Torah says the following thing. In chapter 1, verse number 50, And you, Hashem says to Moshe, you shall appoint the Levim, the tribe of Levi, on the tabernacle of testimony. And on all its vessels, and everything that is included in it. They shall carry the Mishkan, and all its vessels, and they will serve it. And around the Mishkan they shall encamp. So says the Briskarov, okay, that there are two things that are being said in this Pasuk. Sometimes you can do a mitzvah, or sometimes you can do an action with one action. And sometimes with one action you can do two mitzvahs. Or you can accomplish two things. You can kill two birds with one stone, right? It's possible to kill two birds with one stone. Or you can kill one bird, it's just a figure of speech, we're not talking about killing birds, right? So you kill two birds with one stone. Now, the Torah here says two things in this Pasuk. Number one is, is that the Levium will perform the service. What's the service? The service will be to be around the Mishkan. Okay? Now again, I don't know whether the Briskarov gets it from this Pasuk, but I see it in this Pasuk. I don't have this safer in front of me. They will, be, they will serve the Mishkan, and they will carry the Mishkan. And also, they will encamp around the Mishkan. Right. Says the, uh, the Briskarov that every single tribe had a mitzvah to encamp around the Mishkan. In other words, there was a specific law, there was a din, there was a law that prescribed, that legislated the, the requirement that every single tribe should have its position, its specific position around the Mishkan. Shevet Levi is not excluded from that prescription. Right? Except that Shevet Levi has another job, or another mitzvah, or another legisla- a, a law that's legislated for Shevet Levi. And that is, is that they protect, they watch the Mishkan. So says the Briskarov that their Shevet Levi's encampment around the Mishkan or their position around the Mishkan accomplishes two things. It has two dinim, it has two laws. There are two mitzvahs that Shevet Levi accomplishes by encamping around the Mishkan. Number one, they accomplish is, is that they encamp around the Mishkan. And that is like everybody else. The same way that everybody else has a mitzvah to have a position by the Mishkan, so too does Shevet Levi. The second thing that Shevet Levi accomplishes is is that Shevet Levi is also protects the Mishkan, watches the Mishkan, 
serves the Mishkan while they encamp around the Mishkan. And that's why the Pasuk says two things. You shall appoint the Leviyam on the Mishkan. Right? They will carry it in all its vessels and they will serve it. And they will also encamp around the Mishkan. Right? That's what the Torah is saying. The Torah is saying that there are two jobs that they have. Pasuk 53, for example, says, Va'alevim yachnu sa'viv le'mishkan ha'edus. The Levim will, will encamp around the mishkan ha'edus. V'lo yeketzav aladas b'nei Yisrael. There will be no, or I think maybe it's from this Pasuk actually, there will be no anger on the congregation of Israel. V'shamru ha'levim es mishmeres mishkan ha'edus. And the Levim will protect the mishmeres, the protecting of the mishkan. Right? It's double. First of all, they will, they will encamp around the Mishkan. And second of all, they will keep it. So their encamping will keep it. What are they protecting? Right. So I guess from Pasuk from from Nun, it's not so clear. Because Pasuk Nun, it says that they'll be appointed on the Mishkan and all its vessels. They will carry it, and they will serve it. And then they will encamp around it. But in 53, in Nun Gimel, it says, the Levim will encamp around the Mishkan. And then it says, and they will keep it. Right, which seems to be that they will keep it because they will encamp around it. So they're in camp, basically, the bottom line is, right, is the Briska Rav is saying that they're in camping around the Mishkan accomplishes two things. Number one is they're protecting it, they're guarding it, and number two is, just like everybody else, they're encamping around it, just like every other tribe. That's what the Briska Rav says, I think, from Pasuk Gimel, if my memory serves me right. So what are they protecting it from? Oh, so now the encamping of the Mishkan is on the first page of Mesech Tamid. Mesech Tamid on page 25b says that there's a mitzvah to protect the Mishkan for both the Kahanim and the Leviyam. And here the Mishnah delineates where the protection takes place. Where the Leviyam have to uh, stand themselves up. Where the Leviyam have to uh, watch, watch. Where the Leviyam have to guard the Mishkan. Right? So the Rishonim here say, very interesting, the Rishonim here say, what's this mitzvah, what's the point of this mitzvah? The mitzvah of protecting the Mishkan. So the Rishonim here say that, for example, the explanation of the Rosh, the explanation of the Rosh is like this. He says, um, there are three places that the Mishnah tells us that the Kohenim watch this key, watch. The Kohenim guard this place. It includes the Levim also. So he says, This mitzvah of protecting or guarding the Mishkan has nothing to do with stealing. It's not because we're afraid that somebody is going to steal for themselves a, uh, a shovel a knife, or whatever vessels, gold vessels are in the Mishkan. That's not why they're, they're protecting the Mishkan, or they're guarding the Mishkan. That's not why, so why are we not afraid, says the Rosh, why not? Why are we not afraid of this? The Aniyos Because there is no poverty where there are riches. Aniyos The Mishkan is, the, the temple is a rich place, so to speak or euphemistically speaking. The Mishkan is a place of royalty. 
It's a place of 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 uh, of, uh, of uh, majesty. It's a place of riches. It's a place of wealth. In a place like this, one does not worry about stealing. People steal, okay. Right? There's no Aeneas Mokamashiris. The only time you put a safe, the only time you put a, uh, you know, a, a guardrail, the only time you put a barbed wire is when you're afraid. But when it comes to majesty, when it comes to, so to speak, monarchy, when it comes to royalty, as the, the Torah says, I think, in the in Parsha's Tetzaveh, the Chobot Velociferus, we're talking about honor and glory. In such a case, there is no problem of 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 uh, of, of being worried about stealing. In Aniyus, there's no poverty in Makamashiris. We don't we don't uh, we don't uh, you know we don't. For example, the Sefer Achinuch, when he talks about the Book of Education, when he says that you're not allowed to bite into car- the carbon pesach in the in the Paschal Lamb, you're not allowed to bite into the bone. Can't bite into the bone. Why not? Because poor people bite into bones. Because they don't have enough food, right? But on the night of Pesach, we're supposed to act like we're, like we're kings, and kings don't need to bite bones; they can just get another piece of chicken, right? So the same thing here. We don't have guards. What? That's a separate issue. Yeah. That's a separate issue. Still, there's an Isa. You're not allowed to do it anyway, right? So Ella Gezeris Akosafu says that Rosh, it's a decree of the pasuk, the Chsib Shamru. The reason why. We do it is because the Torah said so. The Leviim, the guard, the Mishkan, they guard the temple because the Torah said so. That's it. It's a possible. Vigam and also Kavar Hamikdash. It's an honor. It's an honor to have guards. You have these. The only example I can think of always is the uh, the uh, the Buckingham Palace, right? What do they call those guys, right? You have the guards. Yeah. Then what's the shot there over there? Because they're afraid of, they're going to be terrorists. They're afraid that somebody's going to steal the queen's purse. No, the reason why they're standing over there is for covet. It's it looks good. It's for honor. It shows that this thing is important. It shows the Buckingham Palace is important and the monarchy is important when you have guards, right? Shelo yasihu daita mimenu, and when you have such a thing, is that you're showing that you're paying attention to it. It's not something that you forget about. You're always looking at it. So when you have a guard, when you have a guard that's watching the Beis Amikdash, they're watching the Mishkan, it's something that you're always looking at. Right? You're not forgetting it. That's what the, uh, the Rosh says. And so says the Mephorish. The Mephorish says the same thing like this. He says the same thing. And look, if somebody will steal something, we'll replace it. We're not worried about somebody stealing something. We'll replace it. There's no Anis Makam Shiris. We're talking about the coffers of the we're talking about the coffers of the um, public coffers of the Jewish people. And the, the taxes are coming in anyway. Everybody's giving their shkolim. Somebody steals something, the tzibur, the congregation will replace it. We're not worried about we're not worried about stealing. That's not the reason why we have it. The reason why we have the Mishmeris is because it's an honor. It's an honor, it's protection, it's the show covet. Right? That's the reason. So, so, so that's the it's mitzvah. It's so puzzling that they use that language. Then, I mean, there are other languages. 
Well, yeah, no, it is a it is a shmira, but it's not. It is a shmira because that's what you're calling it. You're calling it guard. It is a guard, and the guards in Buckingham Palace are also guards. And what they're doing is they are guarding. They are guarding, but it's not. The, but but the the point is that they weren't hired. They weren't appointed. They weren't placed there because we were afraid, right? They were placed there because it's honorable to guard something which is important. Something which is not important, we don't we don't bother to uh, to keep it. Right. That's the right. that's what the uh, the the and the Mefor say at the beginning of the Sechnas So this is what, according to the Briskorov, the Leviim are accomplishing. Their encampment around the Mishkan, right, is two things. First of all, they're serving the Mishkan, they're protecting the Mishkan, and second of all, they're encamping around the Mishkan. The same way that everybody else is encamping around the Mishkan. So I was thinking the following random thought. I was thinking the following random thought. Tell me what you think about this. I was thinking like this. We all know the, the, the famous... Uh, the Orachim HaKodesh seems to uh, say this. And the Alshech is that the, that, the, that, the, that the Pasuk says, and we've discussed this on many occasions before, Pasuk says in Parshish Chuma. Right, the pasuk says in Parshishma. What does the pasuk say there? Va'asuli mikdash, v'shachanti b'soicha. You should make for me a mikdash. You should make for me a sanctuary. V'shachanti b'soicha, and I will dwell amongst you. So the Alshech and the Rachaim Akash, they're all asking the question: Why is there b'soicham amongst you? Right. So, so we said that the reason why what does it mean amongst you? It means that every single person can make themselves into a sanctuary. Every single person can make themselves into a mishkan. Right. And so if, so, if you build for me a Mishkan, it doesn't only mean if you build a temple in, the, in Yerushalayim. It also means if you make yourself, your body, your, 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 uh, yourself into a temple. If you make yourself into a Mishkan. Right? If you make yourself into a Mishkan, then not only does the, the same way that Hashem comes and dwells, His name dwells in this place, right? The same way that this Man, it, it, it dwells in this place, so too Hashem will come and dwell in the person. Right? We know that the person is a Mishkan. Like you see, if you take a look in the Malbim, in Parshat Chumah's commentary, which is discussed many times before, the Malbim describes how every single one of the Kalim, every single one of the vessels in the Mishkan represents a different organ, a different part of the body. For example, the Oren represents the brain, right? All these different types of things. So, really, it's a model. Really, the Mishkan is really a, 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 a model of a person. And a person is really themselves a Mishkan. Right? That's what the Malvin makes that claim. And, so, and so, so, therefore, when a person makes themselves into a Mishkan, if a person makes themselves into a, a um, Kaddish, a person makes themselves Kaddish, so Hashem will be there. Hashem will also dwell there. Right? Because wherever there is a Mishkan, Hashem comes there, the same way that Hashem comes to Yerushalayim. But what makes, we discussed, what makes the Western Wall a holy place? What makes the Yerushalayim, what makes the Temple Mount a holy place? That Hashem's presence is there. Right? But according, according to this Al-Sheikh, and according to Arachayim HaKadosh, right, a person can make themselves into such a sanctuary. A person can make themselves into such a, a place where Hashem's presence could be there. And a person can achieve a Kedusha that is uh, Mikdash-esque that is uh, temple-esque, right? And uh, that Hashem's presence dwells there, inside the person themselves. Oh. So I was thinking like this. I was thinking that perhaps, maybe, 
right? We could say the following thing to connect our Pasha. And that is like this. Is that we see from the Rosh or from the Gemara Mesach Tastamid, like we just said, that there's a mitzvah to do Shmira on the Mishkan. There's a mitzvah to do Shmira on the Mishkan. So both the Rosh and the Mephorish say, what's the reason for this mitzvah? To, to protect, to guard the Mishkan. is to show that the Mishkan is important. Right? It's to show that the Mishkan is important. So, so if we ourselves want to make ourselves into a Mishkan, then we also ourselves have to we also ourselves have to uh, place guards around ourselves to guard ourselves, to guard the Mishkan, that's us. Right? And who, who is going to be? Who is going to be that guard? Who is going to be that guard? It's going to be Shevet Levi. It's the tribe of Levi. Right? So we could say that two ways. The tribe of Levi is the rabbi, the teacher, the rabbi. Right? And so, so what guards are we place around ourselves? Right? What guards do we place around ourselves? The teacher, the Rebbe. You hear? When we have a relationship with the Rebbe, like the Mishnah says at the beginning of Pirkei Avos, Uknei Lecharav. Asei Lecharav, Uknei Lecharav, what does it say? Asei Lecharav, Right? You should make for yourself a Rav. So you make, we make for ourselves a Rav. And that Rav should act as a guard on the Mishkan that we're building out of ourselves. So that Hashem's presence will be here. Right? You hear? So, so that's one way, I was thinking. Because that's what Shevet Levi represents. But another way, I was thinking, maybe even like this. We could say the following thing. And that is, the Rambam says, at the end of Hilchashmit of Yoyim, we know the Rambam. The Rambam says that it's Shevet Levi's job to learn and teach Torah. Right? That's Shevi Levi. Now, if a person happens not to be from the tribe of Levi, Levi, then it's not his job to learn and teach Torah. But the Rambam says that every single person has the option to make themselves as part of the tribe of Levi. They can, uh, you know, how do you say, uh, escape, um, intermarry, not intermarry, they can, uh, you know, go out from the hood. They can go out from the from themselves and not be from Shevet Levi anymore, from the, from their own tribe, and they can make themselves a part of a tribe of Shevet Levi. How does the Rambam says? How do you do such a thing? If you make yourself into a if you make yourself into a dedicated person to studying Torah, and you dedicate your time to the study of Torah, your time and energy and effort to the study of Torah, the same way that a Levi would, that automatically makes you part of Shevet Levi. In terms of being those people that study Torah. Right? So I was thinking like this. I was thinking that since it's the job of Shevet Levi to guard the Mishkan, then we can make ourselves into the Shevet Levi that guards our own Mishkan. Not a relationship with the Rebbe. With the relationship with the Rebbe is yes. But in addition also, to create more of a protection to guard we can also do it to ourselves. We can also step into, into the responsibility of the study of Torah. Now this shows two things. To protect us. Now this shows two things. First of all, guarding accomplishes guarding, which is protecting. Protecting ourselves. How do we protect ourselves? With Torah. Like the Gemara says in Kiddushin, page 29b, the Torah is what protects against the Yitzhahara, against the evil inclination. That's how we protect our Mishkan. Right? But also... But also, it also, having a guard 
shows importance, shows chashivus. It shows that there is substance there. And the mitzvah to have a guard to protect the mishkan, right, is the mitzvah to show that the mishkan is important. That one always pays attention to it, like we saw in the rush. Right? And so therefore, if the Torah hints to us that we can make ourselves into a mishkan, and there's a mitzvah to protect the mishkan, to show that the mishkan is important, so too, we have to engage in guarding ourselves with Shevet Levi, and that is a relationship with a Rebbe, or ourselves getting closer to Torah, in order to impress upon ourselves that we have importance. As the Nevesh Chaim explains in his uh, book, that, every, we, that we have in his book, the Nevesh Chaim at the beginning, he says that we don't, we don't know every single action that we do, and every, every move that we make how it influences the spiritual realm. We have a tremendous amount of power. And so there's a mitzvah of shmira. There's a mitzvah of shmira. There's a mitzvah of guarding ourselves in this way in order to come to the recognition or in order to impress upon ourselves that, we, uh, that God holds us in a very important uh, stature. That's my thought. That's my thought. And now we conclude the, the, this thought with a story that I read today that hopefully it's related, but I don't think it is. I'm not sure it is. So, so the um, Al Capone in Chicago, we know who he was, right? He was a mobster. So he had a lawyer. I don't remember exactly right now the lawyer's name. He had a lawyer. And uh, the lawyer was very, very good. That's why Al Capone stayed out of jail. And every time there would be an issue, he would get him out. So to reward him, to reward him, to reward this lawyer, he gave him a lot. But he made it very nice for him. Gave him a mansion. Gave him money. Gave him uh, things that made it worthwhile to uh, protect him. Right? And this, uh, this guy was very, very happy. Except he had a son. And uh, he saw that the son didn't have respect for him. The son didn't have too much respect for his father. So it gnawed at the father. It gnawed at him that he, that he was trying to teach his son about right and wrong. And at the same time he was involved in uh, hypocrisy. He was living a lie. So he decided one day that he would, as they say, rat oh, no. on Al Capone. And so he showed up at the DA's office and uh, he spilled the beans. He told them everything. Very short while after, what happened to him is what happens to somebody who, uh, who does such a thing. And uh, he was left in a pool of blood and he died. They took care of business because he was uh, crossed them. When you cross the mob, that's what happens. He left a and note. You know this from personal experience. No, I read this story. I read this story. So, so he left a note for his son, saying with a poem, basically indicating that a person has to do the right thing. A person that cannot live a lie. And this was the biggest lesson that he can teach his son about, about life. Mm-hmm. That's the end of story number one. Story number two is there was a man who was a pilot in World War II. 
This man, who was a pilot of World War II, was very good. And he was once flying in the formation with his unit. And he realized that he didn't have gas. So the only thing he can do was turn around. So he turned around, and he noticed that there was a group, uh, there was a, uh, a squadron of uh, Japanese planes flying to attack a specific area. And nobody knew about it. There was a surprise. You know how the Japanese do it. It was a surprise. So he decided that the only option he has is to attack them himself. So he did. He went after the whole squadron. And uh, until he ran out of bullets, he's shooting at them and clipping his wings on their planes. And uh, he managed to actually uh, survive. He managed to actually survive, and there was a video camera on board, and they taped how he, uh, how he uh, heroically, basically, you know, uh, made these, this squadron of planes retreat. That's what happened. So this man's name was O'Hare. From, and the airport in Chicago was named after him. Right? Named by, because the next year after this, unfortunately, he died uh, in battle with his plane. So they named, they gave him, a, they gave him a medal of honor, and he, uh, the, they named the airport after him in Chicago. And it also happens to be that he was the son of this lawyer, of Al Capone. No, I don't believe it. Really? How about that? Is this true? I don't know. I read the story today. Wait, I assume wait. it's true. Wait, wait, wait. I had it. I got an email from the story. Wow. So you see, it's very important to make oneself into a sanctuary, to be honest and truthful, and to do the right thing, even if it hurts, and even if it means that a person has to give up their life. And look at the lesson that we could teach ourselves, and the lesson we could teach our children when we behave in this way. And the way to do that, the best way to accomplish that, is by making a mishmeris, by creating a protection. By fulfilling the mitzvah that the Torah has, that the Torah gives to the Levian, right? To, to, to guard the sanctuary. When we guard the sanctuary that we create, then Hashem's divine presence will come and will be satisfied that we did the right thing, even though it might cost us in the long run. Or in the short run, actually. Or in the short run, actually, right. Exactly. In the long run, it will all work out. Now, the next thought um, is not that short, but uh, we can shorten it if we want, a little bit, okay? So the next thought is as follows. So that's thought, random thought number one. Random thought number two is as follows. There is a famous Ramban. Here, the Torah in this week's Pasha, the Torah in this week's Pasha requires, uh, gives a mitzvah that everybody should be counted. All of the tribes should be counted. So when Shevet Levi uh, gets counted, when Shevet Levi gets counted, they are 22,000. So the Ramban asks the question, the Ramban asks the question that, that they are a smaller number than everybody else. Right? Asks the Ramban that they don't even meet uh, the tribes. They don't, they don't, they don't uh, everybody else is much, much greater in number. Shevet Levi is very, very, very small. 
right? Twenty-two thousand is nothing. If you take a look on the Chumash at your own at your own time, you will see, right? Uh, you will see that they their number of twenty-two thousand was not uh, as big as everybody else. So the Ramban wants to know why is that the case? Why is that the case? Why is it that all of the other tribes were smaller, were were more numerous than Shevet Levi? So the Ramban gives two answers. One answer the Ramban says is because Levi was one of the people in Parshas Vayishlach together with Shimon that killed out the whole city of uh, Shechem, right? And so Yaakov in Parshas Vayechi gave them a curse, and because he gave Levi the curse, therefore it affected in the way that he would procreate and he would multiply, and therefore Yaakov and therefore he was smaller than everybody else. Shimon is uh, he, the Ramban also explains how that works. Okay, that's the opinion of uh, that's the opinion of, of the, that's one answer of the Ramban. The second answer that the Ramban says is is that it says in the Parsha Shmos that the more the Egyptians afflicted the Jewish people, the more they multiplied. Uh, right, and, right. and so the Shavit, so therefore Shavit Levi, Shavit Levi did not um, was not included in the Shibud. They were not included in the work. They did not work like everybody else. They uh, walked around whenever they want. Right? So therefore, they didn't have this bracha, says the, the Ramban. They didn't have this blessing of, they didn't have this blessing of the more they got afflicted, the more they multiplied. Since they didn't have this blessing, they didn't multiply. Very simple. That's the Ramban's answer. So the Kleokar actually explains the Ramban's answer a little bit uh, more in depth. And he says like this. He says the Kleokar, that uh, the Ramban means to say, at least in his opinion, the Ramban means to say the following thing. Um, the Kleoker's explanation of the Ramban is very interesting. He says, okay, we just have to find it. Um, he says like this, Hashem wanted to do the opposite Hashem wanted to do the opposite of whatever the Egyptians planned. What was the Egyptians' plan? The Egyptians' plan was, we're going to make them suffer. We're going to make them, we're going to, uh, we're going to kill them. Right? That's what we're going to do. That was, the, uh, that was their plan. So, we're going to afflict them. And we're going to make them, we're going to put them in camps. Right? And they're going to have to work for their... Um, that will be the solution for their multiplication. Okay. Right. So Hashem said, whatever they're thinking, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to show them that they cannot accomplish because I'm the one who controls the world. Hashem wanted to show that He is the one who controls and not them. Right. And so therefore, what happened? The Egyptians, right, the Egyptians wanted to here it is. So he says like this. Says the 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 Kleogus like this. That the Egyptians wanted to make make them work. So Hashem says, Okay, you want to make them work? I'm going to multiply them. Because you want to make them less, I'm going to make them more. This was a sign. 
that these people think that they are in control. They think that they're in control. But I'm going to show them that I'm in control. And therefore, and therefore, the more they made them suffer, the more they multiplied. However, the tribe of Levi, that was not included in this. So therefore, Hashem didn't have to do that. Because think about it. Rashi says that each woman had six children. Right? This was not normal. It was against nature. So therefore, says the Kleokar, the 22,000 that the, the tribe of Levi was, that was normal. That was a normal rate of growth. of growth. So Hashem didn't have to make it against the normal rate of growth. Hashem he didn't have to go the opposite. Because the Egyptians, for what? Why does He have to make a miracle and multiply them for? That doesn't show the Egyptians anything. But Hashem went out of His way to make a miracle in order to show that they're not the ones who control destiny. He is the one who controls it. He is the one who's in charge. That's the way the uh, Kleokar explains it. Okay? So, my thought was like this. The Orachayim uh, HaKadosh wants to make the following. He wants to give it a different answer completely. He wants to say something else. He wants to say as follows. He has the following question. He says that if you read the Torah in Parsha Shemos, the simple, the simple reading of the Torah seems to be like this, that the more that they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. So it seems like that they multiplied when? When they afflicted them. Says the Orachim HaKadosh, that's not true. They were already multiplying before they were afflicted. How do I know that? How many Jews were there? So the Torah in this week's parsha says there were 600,000 Jews, which is approximately, according to, uh, according to many Svarim, is approximately 2 million people. Says the Arachim HaKadosh, these 2 million people who already existed, there's a menish that says that before Yaakov died, there was already 2 million people. Yeah? So they, when did Yaakov die? Yaakov died before the uh, oppression started. So that means that there were already 2 million people before the oppression started. If there were already 2 million people before the oppression started, so what does it mean that every time that they afflicted them, they multiplied? Yeah. So says the Arachayim HaKodesh, says the Arachayim HaKodesh, that, that uh, it means like this. They had already increased in number. The population of Jewish people had already swelled to 2 million people even before the oppression started. And the Egyptians became nervous, and that's what the Parsha Shemos opens up with them, saying that we got to come to, uh, we got to find the solution to the Jewish problem. And therefore, the solution was that they're going to decrease the population. But as much as they tried to decrease the population, says the Torah, the more they afflicted them, the more they increased. doesn't mean that they increased the number, but it means that they uh, completed the number. So if there was 2 million people, no matter how much they tried to decrease the population, the population stayed the same. So even over a period of many years of trying to kill them out, right? Like kill 10 people, 10 people were born. Another 100 people popped up. Another 1,000 people popped up. So they could never depreciate the numbers. That's what the Torah means. So why was Shevet Levi so small? Says the Arachim HaKadosh. The reason why Shevet Levi was so small was because they decided that they're not going to engage in, in, uh, in, in, in having more children. Because they, they had two reasons. Number one is, in order to do that, one had to do it in a, a very... Uh, 
in a very um, uh, not such a great way because you had to be hidden and you had to be in the fields and in the caves and that wasn't uh, they held that that wasn't proper at least for their stature because of their stature of being Tamil Chachamim that's number one says the and the second explanation he gives is he says that one is not allowed to have relations even though it's for the purpose of a mitzvah intimacy at the time that there's Torah when the Jewish people are involved in a, when there is affliction going on when there is oppression going on when there is suffering one is not allowed to be involved in, uh, in uh, procreation at that time so Shevet Levi had decided Shevet Levi had decided that they're not going to be involved right and so therefore therefore they weren't involved that's, that's the explanation that he wants to say. So why was Shevet Levi such a small number? Because they had decided to formally not to, not, not, not to do that. Right? That's what he says. So It's a little peculiar, though, because, I mean, you know, the whole story with uh, Miriam telling her parents that it's not right to separate. Right, so the Gemara says in Tractate Sota, page 12a, the Gemara says that Amram went and divorced his wife, and so did everybody else. Right, and then she But said, then Miriam gave him Musa and said right. it's not right, and then they all took her, they all took right. their wives back. Right. So the Arachaim says that Shevet Levi, according to the explanation of the Segulus Moshe, did not take their wives back. Only everybody else took their wives back, but they didn't. They stayed unmarried because of this reason, because they said after the oppression we will go, we're going to get remarried. So it's a whole different perspective on what took place, according to at least according to the. Uh, According to the Orachayim. Anyway, that's the second thought, but it's it's uh, it's not really. I mean, it's not really a thought. It's just relating the uh, one of the commentaries on the on the parsha of what happened uh, with Shevet Levi. But the lesson from it, I guess, is is that is that the entity of the Jewish people will continue to perpetuate through history until the Mashiach comes, and nobody is going to be able to change that. I believe is the population the same as it was before the war, the Jewish population. Is the same as before the war, mm-hmm. right? Well, so now there is about six million people in Eretz Israel, six million Jewish people in Eretz Israel. Really? Yeah, five million, six million people in Eretz Israel, wow. right? So Hitler tried, Yimach Shemo tried to decrease the number of the Jewish population, and the Kliyakar hints to this that Hashem wants a specific number, a small number, not a large number, but a small number. And they tried to decrease that number. But the same way that in Egypt, according to the Arachayim HaKadosh, it didn't help, so too it doesn't help. It doesn't, incre- doesn't help to decrease the number. And um, if somebody tries to do that, Chas V'Shalom, then uh, you know, they are going to suffer um, a hindrance. They're going to suffer the, of, uh, of being stopped in some way. So if somebody tries to decrease the population of the Jewish people by giving them less, less land. If somebody tries to decrease the population by killing the Jewish people, and Hashem has other plans, then obviously He's going to arrange that it's going to happen a different way. And it's not like it didn't happen like that in the past. And we see that as an example from the Ram, Ramban's question, and that the way the Archaim HaKadosh explains it. Okay, those are the two thoughts on the Parsha. Okay, Shreich, I think with this we conclude. Were they really random? Well, they're random in terms of the fact that um, they're not construed into one specific class, 
but they're not random in terms of the fact that I didn't think about them before I came and sat right. down here. Okay. Of course. Okay. Yeah.